Hello and welcome to another Embryology podcast from uh, the School of Medicine at Fordham University. And in the room I have today with me Rhiannon Fish as usual. Hello. Off mic because I can't work out how to plug a third mic in, um, but I might do one day if I ever have the time. And I also have Dr. Geraint Morris, um, consultant neonatologist from Singleton Hospital with us again, who'd like to talk to us about the uh, changes to the cardiovascular system that occur at birth uh, and some of the problems that he sees. Um, the cardiovascular system is a, is a key part of uh, the embryology teaching. So if we look at um, the development of the, the vascular system, the development of the heart, and now let's talk about those changes that occur at birth, it should be interesting. Great. Okay. So if we talk about, let's see how we're going to structure this. If we talk about um, how the fetal circulation is different to the adult, you yeah. know, so how it's hooked up to the placenta, and then let's talk about why that is, Mm-hmm. And then what happens at birth, uh, and what normally happens to you know, to give the normal neonatal circulation or adult circulation, and some of the problems that you see. Is that okay? That's fine. Sound great. Well, thank you very much for coming in again today. Great pleasure. I should think Rhea and I should both learn quite a bit from this. Oh well, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> okay, so let's start then. So, so how is the fetal circulation different to the adult circulation? Well, I suppose the main difference is that the priority for the fetal circulation is to get blood to the placenta. The placenta is the only organ of gaseous exchange and nutrition for the fetus. And, uh, of course, the lungs do not function as lungs in, in the fetus. Sure. Um, they take no part in uh, exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide. So they need only a minimal amount of blood just to get them to grow and develop. Right. Um, but of course the blood is needed in the placenta. So the fetal circulation is, is put together in order to get blood to the placenta. Um, and um, so the, the, there, are, there are two channels uh, which allow the blood to pass from the right side of the heart into the left side of the heart. Um, so instead of going from the right side of the heart out to the pulmonary circulation, exactly. go straight to the left side and back around the body again. Absolutely, that's right, right yes. Yeah. So those two channels, one, one is the ductus arteriosus and yeah. the other is the foramen ovale. Um, the ductus arteriosus connects the, uh, the main pulmonary artery to the aortic arch. Yeah. And when blood leaves the right ventricle, which of course in the mature circulation will be destined for the lungs, Yeah. Instead of going to the lungs, it goes through the ductus arteriosus into the descending aorta. Um, the reason it chooses to go into the ductus arteriosus rather than the pulmonary artery or the branch pulmonary arteries is because the vascular resistance in the fetal lungs is very high. The lungs are collapsed, they're not inflated, and so the pulmonary arteries are constricted um, so the vascular resistance is very high in the lungs. The blood flows along the path of least resistance. So it's much easier to go across the ductus arteriosus. Exactly. Back to the aorta. Absolutely. Around. Yeah, okay. that's right. And then the other channel is the foramen ovale. Uh, that is a, a flap uh, opening between the atria of the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, essentially it allows blood to go from the right atrium into the left atrium and then into the left ventricle and up the aorta um, rather than into the right ventricle. Um, so uh, again, it's a, it's a means by which the blood 
bypasses the lungs and gets to the placenta. It's a direct connection between the right side of the heart and the, the left side of the heart. Exactly. So um, if you talk about the umbilicus and how uh, the blood gets to the placenta, mm -hmm. those are obviously vessels we don't have in the adult. So, yes. So how do we get blood to and from the placenta in the fetus? Okay, well, the umbilical arteries are branches of the iliac arteries. Uh, we normally have two umbilical arteries, although in rare cases, some babies have only one umbilical artery. Um, there's also an, an umbilical vein, and uh, nearly all of us have one vein. Right. Um, yeah. Yep. And uh, the umbilical vein goes from the placenta along the, uh, along the umbilicus through the ductus venosus and into the inferior vena cava. And there's often a bit of confusion here about um, arteries and veins, of course, which is carrying oxygenated blood and deoxygenated blood. Mm -hmm. and of course, veins are returning to the heart, so to the fetal heart, and arteries are, are going away from the fetal heart. So Yeah, that's the way to think about it, because otherwise you get confused between the pulmonary and the systemic circulation. Yeah. So um, there are two um, arteries going to the placenta and one vein coming from the placenta. That's it. And the vein coming from the placenta is nutrient-rich and oxygen-rich. That's right. And the arteries going to the placenta are nutrient-low and oxygen-low. Okay, good. Absolutely, yeah. Excellent. Um, okay, so then the, the blood is then returning through the uh, ductus venosus back to the inferior vena cava. That's it. To the heart. Yeah. Um, so what are we going to talk about next? So that's the fetal circulation. Yeah, that's right. So the adult circulation, we don't have those bits we spoke about. Mm. So what happens then? It, it all at happens birth. at birth, doesn't it? So what happens at birth? Okay. So that the circulation changes so that it starts to go to the lungs and we lose, obviously we must lose the ductus arteriosus because we don't have the adult one mm. and the ductus venosus. Sure. Okay. Well, the, uh, the two things that happen at birth that stimulate the change in the fetal circulation are the constriction of the umbilical arteries. Right. So how does that occur? Is that a normal physiological process that occurs with as part of the birth process? Yes, right. it is. Yeah, the placenta separates from uh, the uterus. Um, you know, a whole load of hormonal uh, influences come into play. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, changes in oxygenation occur as well. So the umbilical arteries constrict, the, the umbilical cord is clamped uh, by uh, the midwife. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the lungs expand and fill up with air. So the baby takes a big deep breath and the lungs inflate. And as the lungs inflate, the um, blood supply through the lungs increases. And the way that happens is because of the oxygen-rich uh, environment that the lungs now have, yep. the tonic constriction of the pulmonary arteries relax, relaxes. So the, the pulmonary arteries relax, they vasodilate, and then the high vascular resistance that we talked about that existed before birth now becomes low. So, so blood's going to take that route. That's right. The blood, instead of um, going from the pulmonary artery into the aorta, now goes the other way across the ductus arteriosus. So the pressure in the pulmonary artery drops because the vascular resistance in the lungs drops. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And so because the pressure in the pulmonary artery drops, it becomes lower than the pressure in the aorta. Yes. Okay. Now, blood from the lungs is now starting to go back into the heart through the pulmonary veins. Yeah. Into the left the atrium, left the left ventricle, 
and then the aorta. So all of this oxygen-rich blood is going into the aorta and then across the ductus arteriosus into the pulmonary artery, yep. which of course is the opposite direction to what it used to go in. I see. So now you have oxygenated blood going across the ductus arteriosus for the first time. And that oxygen-rich blood stimulates the closure of the ductus arteriosus by constriction of the smooth muscle around it. So the oxygen is the trigger? Yes. So that route of blood flow is then closed off? Yes, that's Excellent. right. Excellent, okay, yeah. that's very neat. Sometimes the ductus doesn't actually close completely at birth. The first closure, it occurs in, in two stages, I guess. The first closure is what we call physiological closure, and then it's anatomical closure, perhaps after a few weeks. Right. Where it becomes more of a ligamentous structure, yes, more exactly. of a tissue structure. exactly, and then it becomes a ligamentum arteriosum rather yeah. than the ductus arteriosus. So what happens to the foramen ovale? Okay. Now, because you have all of the blood flow coming back from the lungs now into the left atrium, yep. all of that is relatively new blood, if you like. It's blood that wasn't, you know, the lungs are a new source of blood to the left atrium. Uh, they weren't there before. And so um, the left atrium fills up with uh, blood at relatively high pressure. And that pressure closes that flap over the foramen ovale. Sometimes it remains open for a little while after birth, but if it does remain open, you see that the blood flow across it will be now left atrium to right atrium instead of the instead other way around, way. which it was oh, okay. in the fetus. Because yeah. of the changes in pressure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it takes a little bit of time for it to close properly and seal, does it? Is that it does. known about? It does. does it know how long it takes? Well, um, it's quite normal. If, like, um, I do echocardiograms uh, quite frequently on... Uh, on newborn babies right and um, in the first few days of life you almost always see a little bit of blood flow crossing the foramen ovale so it's it's normal it is it is but then as time goes by you know over the first 18 months of life the patent foramen ovale as we call it the pfo generally right. closes so it takes some time it to does close but in fact uh, i think um, over recent years uh, a pfo uh, has um, become quite topical um, because uh, th there are two situations which it's been linked with um, in adults and in fact up to a quarter of the world's population is thought to have a PFO. Really? Yeah. Ah. Um, and it's been linked in a recent uh, article to migraine. So people with PFOs <laughs> are much more likely to have migraine. Why is that? Is there, is there any link or is it just a statistical no link at the moment? It's it? just a statistical link. Whether it's a causal link is doubtful. Uh, because there are more people with migraines who, who don't have a PFO, but it's just that more people with PFOs have migraine than those who don't have PFOs. You can detect the adult PFO with an echocardiogram, can you? You can, you can. Um, and then the other situation where it becomes relevant is deep-sea diving. Um, yeah. And with diving becoming much more um, common as, a, as a, yes. a recreation. Most of my family seem to do it. That's right. Um if you do have a PFO, of course, um, then there is the potential for oxygen, sorry, nitrogen bubbles to form in the systemic veins, return to the heart through the vena cava into the right atrium. And if you're submerged, uh, then there's a lot of pressure on your chest. Yes. And so the right atrium um, could actually have a higher pressure in it than the left atrium because of the lack of blood flow coming I from see. the lungs into the heart. And so you can have nitrogen bubbles crossing the PFO from right to left, 
then getting into the systemic arteries yeah and causing strokes and, and disappearing up to the head ischemia and so on yeah i guess that's the first thing you know about it yeah is when you exactly oh well, never... is that just you know proper deep sea diving or is it, that it's mainly sort of... deep sea diving diving oh, yes yeah no, that's right. an interesting idea yeah scary <laughs> <laughs> so before deep sea diving have an echocardiogram <laughs> if, you want to, if you want to be a professional deep sea diver, I, I think they, it's, it's, it's yeah, advisable. they have all the medicals anyway, don't they? So Probably, yeah. They get looked after. That's right. Okay, so we've managed to get then now to the adult uh, circulation, mm-hmm. the, the normal adult circulation. Yes. CFOs aside. That's it. So, do you see any sort of problems with uh, neonates or babies born prematurely? Sure. We, if, we, if we talk we about, about? Um, uh, perhaps situations where the ductus arteriosus closes prematurely. The closest before birth. Before birth, yes. Um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, for instance, um, like aspirin and indomethacin, they're not contraindicated in pregnancy, but um, in the third trimester, um, there is a risk that if mothers take these substances, then the ductus arteriosus could actually constrict under, under their influence um, because they are uh, prostaglandin uh, inhib- yeah. inhibitors. And so um, prostaglandin actually keeps the, the smooth muscle around the ductus relaxed. Um, so if you inhibit those prostaglandins, it's going to want to close up. It's going to want to close, yeah. So what does that do to the blood circulation then? Well, it, it, it puts a strain on the right ventricle um, yeah. and it causes the blood flow to the um, lungs to increase. Yeah. Um, so you get a lot of blood flow going into the, into the lungs, which really shouldn't be there. And that can actually damage the pulmonary arteries or at least cause pulmonary vasoconstriction in the lungs. And that can give you a risk of a condition called pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. Right. Um, which is where there is very high vascular resistance in the pulmonary arteries after birth. And then the lung blood flow is compromised as a result. So lung efficiency is going to be much, much reduced. That's right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, the ductus arteriosus normally closes shortly after birth, or you know, within a few hours. Yeah. But it's not a complete closure usually, it's a physiological closure. Um, so there is the potential there for either the ductus to fail to close, or to close physiologically and then reopen later. Right. Now that's, that's a, a very common problem, particularly in premature babies because the smooth muscle around the ductus arteriosus is not particularly well developed. Okay. And um, in premature babies who have respiratory problems, hypoxia is also a problem. So you get less oxygen going across Ah, the ductus. Yes, of course. So um, in that situation, a patent ductus arteriosus can become a clinical problem. Now, if it is um, a problem, then the reason it's a problem is because too much blood goes from the aorta into the pulmonary artery across the ductus yeah and then too much blood goes into the lungs right so the lungs become congested with blood so at any one time there's more blood in the lungs than what there should be if you like okay and there's only limited space in the lungs so if there's there's more blood there's less more space blood, there's less air, space for air absolutely okay um and uh, of course, um, if there's too much blood going into the lungs, there's too much blood coming back from the lungs into the left atrium and the left ventricle. And the left ventricle becomes volume-loaded. Yeah. And it dilates and it gets... It, it's under strain. So you can get left ventricular failure 
as a result of a patent ductus arteriosus. Just because of that little blood vessel. Exactly. That's so right. what do you do? Do you try and uh, close the ductus arteriosus with drugs? Yes, you can try and close it um, with um, indomethacin, strangely enough. Right. Um, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. Yep. Or we can use ibuprofen. And we use it intravenously in, in babies. And that's there's no surgical intervention usually required then? It's we tend to give um, medical treatment first. If that fails and the ductus arteriosus remains a, you know, a significant problem, then occasionally we do need to ask for a surgeon's help to right. um, clip the, 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 the PDA. Okay. So if the blood flow is, is doing that, how does that affect the function of the foramen ovale? If you have a patent ductus arteriosus after birth. It doesn't usually have any effect on the PFO because um, the amount of blood coming back from the lungs is so large that Did the it? left atrium still is at high enough pressure to keep the, the foramen ovale closed. Uh -huh. But in fact, if you do have a PFO and a PDA at the same time, the left atrium can actually, um, it, 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 it can, the, the PFO can act as a pressure relief valve from the left atrium. I see, yeah. So the the left atrium can offload into the right atrium, and so the strain then is shared by both ventricles yeah. rather than yeah. just the left ventricle. So a good knowledge of physiology can help you work these things out. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And it all makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if uh, yeah, if you if you if you understand the circulation, then you are in a much better position to judge how you know how these these problems cause problems in babies. And when you're faced with a baby, you know, you can work out what's going on much better and know better and in a, be in a better position to treat it. Sure, yeah, it's working it out, isn't it, from, from knowledge, from basic knowledge exactly. and understanding. That's yeah. right, yeah. Holding the heart babies are well publicised. Is, sure. is it because it's, um, is it a common problem or is it a common, is it, uh, is it a common problem or is it a problem that arises occasionally but is particularly interesting or dangerous? Well publicised. Okay, well, all congenital heart defects, if you lump them all together, um, yeah. it's said that the incidence of congenital heart defects is about 0.8% or 8 in a 1,000 babies will have some kind of heart defect. Right. The most common of which is a ventricular septal defect. Yeah. Um, and that arises because of the fact that um, the um, muscular wall of the ventricle usually doesn't close off altogether the left ventricle from the right ventricle. Yeah. Um, but um, in fact, um, PDAs are um, almost as common, particularly when you consider their incidence in premature babies. Right. Um, and then atrial septal defects or patent foramen ovale. Yeah. Uh, we tend to call them atrial septal defects um, if they're clinically significant PFOs. In other words, because PFOs are present in about 25% of the normal population... Yeah, you make we, a distinction. We make a distinction. So if they're bigger than what they should be, and if they're hemodynamically significant, we tend to call them atrial septal defects right. rather than PFOs. So hole in the heart can cover holes in... A multitude of yeah, things, that's different right. different places of the heart. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Whereas I guess most people would think of the frame ovale because it's the, the normal hole. Yeah, that's right. And, and PDA as well, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So these, these children have problems because they are all of those things that we've mentioned, a PDA, ASD, VSD, and also an AVSD, an atrial ventricular septal defect. 
they are all forms of left to right shunts. Yeah. So all of those things cause extra blood flow to go to the lungs. So they all tend to cause similar symptoms then? Yes, they do. And then you've got to try and work out what the problem is. Exactly. From the symptoms. From, well, the, from the clinical from, presentation, yeah. yes, that's right. In fact, of those defects, an atrial sacral defect is the least serious, <laughs> um, but the most insidious of them. So because the pressure in the atria is quite low, yeah. the pressure difference between the left atrium and the right atrium is not that great. Yeah. Atrial sacral defects take to, tend to take much longer to come to light than uh, a similarly sized okay. VSD or a similarly sized PDA. Causes more obvious problems. Exactly, that's right. Earlier yeah. on. Okay. So ASDs don't tend to cause any problems in infancy or early childhood, but they do cause problems with breathlessness in later childhood and early adulthood. Very interesting. So uh, does that cover uh, most of the abnormalities that you see? Relating to the changes in the cardiovascular system. Sure, I think uh, I think yeah. so. Yes, there are a whole host of other congenital heart defects, which relate to failures in the formation of the aortic arch or the coronal part of the heart. But um, in terms of the, the the changes to the circulation, I think we've covered most things. Yes. Excellent. So uh, medical students are likely to encounter some of these fairly early on in their working lives. By the sound of it, is that right? Yeah, they are. Yes. Um, Particularly pulmonary hypertension of the newborn, I think. Um, well, I think the most common of the things that we talked about already is the patent ductus arteriosus in premature babies. Yeah, yeah. But beyond that, um, the, the most serious problem is pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. I alluded to it when I talked about um, the um, premature closure of the PDA. But in fact, um, the commonest cause of pulmonary hypertension of the newborn is hypoxia of the fetus. So if there's a problem with the placental function, right. that oxygen-rich blood is not coming back from the placenta. Okay. And it causes the pulmonary arteries to become too vasoconstricted and they become very muscularized. Oh, right. And um, that means that when the baby is born, you yeah. don't get that relaxation yeah. of the smooth muscle around the, the pulmonary artery arteries. Yeah. And so... The circulation carries on, as it were, as if it was still the, the baby was still a fetus. Ah, okay. So, yeah, so instead of having changes. left to right shunting of blood across the PDA, because of the very high vascular resistance inside inside the pulmonary arteries, yeah. the flow of blood across the ductus arteriosus will be right to left, and that causes the baby to be hypoxic and cyanosed. Yeah, and that's a medical emergency. So what do you do there? Well. You need to give things to the baby that cause vasodilatation of the pulmonary arteries. Um, one thing is oxygen, so you need to give them loads of oxygen okay. to relax those pulmonary arteries. And helps the hypoxia straight away as well. Exactly. Yeah. And so that helps to dilate the pulmonary arteries so that the flow across the ductus arteriosus reverts back to what it should have been after birth. That's left yeah. and right. Yeah, okay. Um, also, you can give specific pulmonary, pulmonary vasodilators. Right. So one of them is nitric oxide, which we give in gaseous form, in, yep. in, in, inhaled by the baby. So we can plug that into the ventilator circuit if, right. they're, if they're on ventilation. And the other one, believe it or not, is Viagra. <laughs> um, so Viagra is a pretty good... I think I'd read about this. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty good um, pulmonary vasodilator. Yeah. 
So it's being used more and more now in pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. Excellent. That's really interesting. Mm. I say a bit of embryology, some solid physiology, and you can work it out, I think. Yeah, we yes. even touched on reproductive medicine there. <laughs> <laughs> Just touched on it, yeah. Is there anything else we wanted to ask about, Ruby? Yeah, do we want to know anything about the Okay, so what about the ductus venosus, which we mentioned earlier, is a part of the fetal circulation? Is that ever a consideration for you as a neonatologist? Sure. There are rare abnormalities in uh, in the ductus venosus. Sometimes it's absent altogether, and the umbilical vein um, connects directly to the right atrium without really? going through the ductus venosus. Yes, the ductus venosus is thought to to have. Um, an effect of limiting the blood flow back into the right atrium from the placenta. So there's a, there's a drop in pressure okay. through the ductus venosus um, because it provides a resistance to the flow of blood from the placenta yeah. into the right atrium. If you've got the, the umbilical vein connected directly to the right atrium, then you can have a volume loading of the right, of the right atrium and that causes a strain on the heart and it can sometimes result in the death of, of the fetus. I've got to imagine that's, that's fairly rare, is it? It is very rare. It is very rare. But it's more and more being picked up on antenatal scans. The more antenatal scans really? we do, the more we see it, yes. Um, but I suppose the, the, the main reason we to, to think about the ductus venosus is because when we put an umbilical venous catheter into the umbilical vein, we have to know where that is going. So yes. So on a, on, a, on a chest x-ray, we have to know where the tip of that umbilical venous catheter is and it can lie anywhere along the course of the ductus venosus and it can even go off into a hepatic vein yes um, which also is a branch of the ductus venosus um, so um, it, it is an important structure to, to know about and i hope our medical students will remember seeing the ductus venosus or its remnants when they looked at the liver yeah that's right as the ligamentum venosum is it yeah i doubt they will but <laughs> we can hope. Do you remember that? Do you do you remember it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. Anything else that you wanna cover? It's probably about enough mental effort for me as well as yeah. the students. That was good. That's an hour spent thirty minutes so that's yeah. good. Um yes, well thank you very much for that, Geraint. That was that was very interesting. Uh Re and I not being clinicians are, are learning a lot from that, I think, don't we? Good. I've sat here the whole time being very quiet and just listening. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. No problem. It's yeah. very unusual. I'm not giving you a microphone again. So you <laughs> well, thanks again, Geraint. Hopefully you'll do some more of these in the future if we give you a shout. Pleasure. And we really should let you get back to work. Okay, that's great. Thank Cheers. You. Thank Come you, on. Sam.